0: Tonight's scripture reading comes from Revelation 5, 1 through 4. It says this, Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll written on the inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven... Or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it and I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it this is the word of the Lord I know weird scripture but we'll get back to it I promise. But I need to start by saying um, thank you for having me. I uh, will leave here better than I came. The combination of the incredible backdrop around here uh, and the incredible people that are here, um, adults, staff, faculty, but all of you adults who are students. um, I will go back better than I came. I'm a little bit sad I'm going back tomorrow, but I need to see my wife and my dogs in that order. So, looking forward to getting back. But... What we have to talk about tonight is super important in in chapel, but also in the smaller groups that I I have been able to to talk to. I've tried to paint a very large, creation-wide, challenging picture, and I've used words like audacity, like you can do this, you can get there from here, but there has to be something that is the beating heart of that whole effort, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. The beating heart of the effort that can, in fact, change everything creation-wide. And in fact, it it starts with this. All right, help me here. God's mind about you is made up, and the news is? Oh, man, it's super important. In, In fact, I would say this to you. You show me your image of God, and I will show you then the shape of your faith. Your image of God how you understand God. The images that you need to somehow understand God will then also shape your faith. And some images don't work. Some images don't work. And we probably ought to say that we all have, me included, the the awful human tendency to try to remake God in my own image. I mean, the opposite's supposed to be true, right? God is trying to remake us in God's image. But sometimes we try to push and prod God and remake God in our own image. And again, I'll say to you show me your functioning image of God, and I will be able to tell you all that I need to tell you about the shape of your faith. If someone feels like they have to overpower, manipulate, intimidate because they're Christian, that tells you something about the image of God that functions in his or her heart. I collect stupid team names. Amen. Some people collect stamps or rocks or whatever, but I I collect stupid team names. In fact, my my baby sister, every Christmas, I know I'm going to get from her, it's kind of lame by now, but still... She gives me every, every Christmas, she gives me a t-shirt or two that she has collected that have terrible, terrible team names. And I just have four uh, for you tonight. Like here's some that I don't, I don't really get. So there's the, there are Evergreen State College Geoducks, and that's a geoduck apparently there in the top. Then there are the polka dots. The Scottsdale Fighting Artichokes, and I do have a t-shirt that I like a lot from the UC Santa Cruz, Banana Slugs, hey man, yes. Now mascots tend to be important to, to some people, I mean there have been some professional teams that have changed names here recently, and it's caused quite a stir. I remember when my alma mater, Southern Nazarene, changed its team name and changed it to the Crimson Storm, about half the people super, super hated it and still do. I hear that you guys underwent a name change not not too long ago. Uh, People like their team names, especially if their team names somehow communicate that we're really dangerous when compared to you. Right? In fact, in fact, Some, uh, especially within the field of athletic competition, some go way out of their way to try to intimidate the other into submission, to try to intimidate the other into submission, right? Have you ever watched rugby? In fact, more specifically, have you ever watched New Zealand play rugby? In fact, more specifically, have you ever seen what New Zealanders do, the all blacks do before they step onto the field and play the game. They have this thing called the haka, and I want to give you a gift now. I want you to see the New Zealand all-black haka. Amen. First, to come first, black haka. I love it. I love everything about that. That's really fun. Well, I think what bothers me though is when people want to understand their side of of the religious conversation in those sorts of terms. Show me your image of God, and I will show you the shape of your faith. And I'll say again: not all images of God work. And not all images of God are good for you. And not all images of God will change the world according to the likeness of Christ. Have you remade God in your own image? Have I? I have before. Because I'm one of those people who has in the past believed that the best thing you can be if you want to further your cause, the best thing you can be if you want to to take up ground, the best thing you can be is powerful, maybe even intimidating, at least strong. And so I have, and maybe a lot of us have, remade God in that image. Have you ever seen the picture of Jesus like ripped with muscles? Why do we do that? Do do we do that because we feel like, okay, our God must be muscle-bound or else he can't really get anything done because who could get anything done who's not muscle-bound? And and then the shape of that faith enjoys, I think, or at least considers it necessary to be strong, perhaps even intimidating, because all those other people are wrong, y'all. And so, how are we going to be God's people if we don't defeat them? I love a good all-black haka. What bothers me is when it comes to church. What bothers me is when it leaves the church, and you still haka everywhere, (laughs) in the hopes of winning somebody to Christ. Have you ever tried to actually intimidate somebody into becoming a Christian? I've seen somebody try. I've seen somebody try. Can I tell you something? The Bible mocks us when we believe that the only way to get things done in the world is to do them on the terms of the world. Scripture mocks us. Does that hurt your feelings? It's supposed to a little bit. So, John, speaking for a resurrected Christ, writes these letters to the seven churches, and I wish I had several other services with you. We'd work through all the letters because they are fascinating and terrifying and, and, and more than that. After the last letter, John is swept up into this heavenly throne room. Now remember, this is art. This is not science. This is art. John is swept up into this heavenly throne room, and he sees this amazing behind-the-scenes worship service where God sits on the throne room and kind of operates everything, and John is just taken aback. This is such a long worship service that it takes up more than one chapter. It goes from chapter 4 all the way into chapter 5, and we're going to pick it up here in chapter 5. And I want you to, to watch, be on the lookout for how it is that God might be making a very serious point about what images of God work and which ones do not. And then I'm going to ask you this question Which image of God is it that you think saves you? So here we are Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. John says, Then I saw on the right hand of the one seated on the throne, which is God, a scroll written on the inside and in the back sealed with seven seals so what is on this scroll we're we're, we're not really sure but we we can tell that it's important there seems to be something here on the scroll that is, is of such great importance that John later is going to break into tears because nobody can actually open it maybe these are the questions that go something like this why God or what's next, God? Or why do the bad things happen to the, to the good people? Why suffering? If you're an all-powerful God, then why is there suffering? Maybe it's all those kinds of questions. We're not sure. Verse 2, I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, okay, who can open the scroll and break its seals? Verse 3, and no one in heaven And on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And so John began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And then somebody walked over, put his hand on John's shoulders and says, hey, do not weep. The lion of the tribe of Judah The root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. The lion of the tribe of Judah. That sounds scary. The lion. You know, it strikes me that there's another sort of nickname for a lion. I think it's the king of beasts, right? The lion of the tribe of Judah. Already, there's some mocking going on here. It's not that it's not in Scripture. This moniker for the Messiah, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, it's that when it is used, it is typically used to point out to the people of God, and perhaps God should still be doing it today, that they have made an idol out of power, an idol out of strength, you don't really want to win on God's terms. You want to win on your enemy's terms. You want to be better at fighting than they are. That is when this is used, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Now here's the thing. I have to admit this to you: I love lions. I love lions. Look, who's, what's not to love about? That's gorgeous. And I also need to admit to you that part of the reason I love lions is because I like power. I I think there have been many moments in my life when I have said, the one with the most power wins. So might as well have the good people with the power. I think there have been times when I've been willing to say, it's good to be bigger than everybody else. Because that's, that's how you get things done. Maybe even in my heart of hearts, I, I have believed at times that the best leaders are the biggest, strongest ones. As if somehow that's how God goes about being God. Now, Here's what happens. The people have heard that there is this announcement that at some point there's going to be a very hungry lion who's going to march out into the middle here and march down the aisle and then come up and just sort of just rip that scroll apart because what scroll can stand up to the jaws of a lion, right? But y'all, watch what happens here. Verse 6 They waited for this lion, but then I saw between the throne and the four living creatures, and among all the elders, a lamb. And not just a lamb, but a lamb standing as if it had been slaughtered. The original language probably is such that it probably should have been translated in this way an always being slaughtered lamb not a lion an always being slaughtered lamb but then having seven horns now a horn was a symbol of strength and seven horns would have been considered to be all powerful and all strong let's say But it's a slaughtered lamb. So, what we have here is power redefined and seven eyes. And so, you can see everything that there is to see the seven spirits of God. This is the fullness of God. Y'all, listen to me again. The fullness of God, the purest, fullest essence of God, is not seen in the lion. It's seen in the always being slaughtered lamb. If Christianity was to have a mascot, according to the book of Revelation, it can't be a lion. But an always being slaughtered lamb makes for a weird sweatshirt, doesn't it? (laughs) But that is our God. Show me your image of God. Show me your functioning image of God, and I will show you the shape of your faith. If you have gripped with both hands this this image of God that is the lion that wins all of the fights with the jaws and the teeth and the fangs and all of that, then doesn't it stand to reason then that you will kind of live out your faith like that? making an idol out of power and the capacity to intimidate to make sure that the other knows not just that they're wrong, but they're wrong and they're probably in some danger because they're wrong. But what if that's not the image of God? What if, what if the image of God is more like a lamb and beyond that, and, and always being slaughtered Lamb. What if the first thing that God wants you to know about God is not God's immense power, but God's capacity to suffer love? Show me the shape of your God. Show me the functioning shape of your God, and I will show you the shape of your faith. A God who is the very essence of suffering, sacrificial love, seeks to be embodied by people who could finally wrap their brains and their hearts and their arms around this truth that the greatest power in all the world is not power. It is the capacity to suffer love. Hey, y'all. It's not God the lion that saves you. It's God, the always slaughtered lamb, that saves you. Let's do this again. God's mind about you is made up, and the news is good. That is not the messaging from the lion who says something like, if you don't get it right, I will tear you to pieces for eternity. This is the God who says, I will suffer for you. I will choose you even, and perhaps most importantly, especially when you cause me to suffer, I will choose you. Now, here's what the book of Revelation is going to do from here on out, and we'll get to it tomorrow morning in, in my last sermon, which I will preach with the help of Mr. Rogers. Amen. But here's what's going to happen. Throughout the rest of the book of Revelation, we've got seals, and then we've got trumpets, and we've got bowls. It's it's all this ugly stuff that happens, but it's all the ugly stuff that happens when suffering love comes into conflict with people who idolize power. You have all these people who insist on life being a certain way, but then you have these crazy people led by this crazy person by the name of Jesus who says, no, into this battle we will enter, not with swords and spears and with the strength of a lion, but we will enter as people who are, like our leader, willing to suffer love. Because that's how God does. And that's how the people of God extend the grace of God. It is the suffering, slaughtered lamb that saves you. It is the suffering, slaughtered lamb that saves you. Well, how, how, how does the suffering, slaughtered lamb save you? Well, I mean, I'm I'm trying to give us some idea of how that God's mind about you is made up and the news is good. But then, to buy that, you'll have to believe, and you should believe, that as it has to do with saving you, your conversion, your salvation, it's always been the case that God does more work on you than you do on God. God does more work on you than you do on you. I guess what I'm trying to say is, People are saved and salvaged and rescued when finally they allow God to love them toward healing. When I was a youth pastor long ago, early 60s, when I was a youth pastor a long time ago, there was a young lady in our group named Allison. Allison... Uh, was an inspiration because Allison was dealing with what would ultimately be a fatal disease. Uh, The disease was called uh, Milnick's Needles Syndrome, and this particular disease caused her skeletal structure to stop growing at around 8 or 9 years old, but her internal organs kept growing. It, It was hard to watch. And it became increasingly hard for her to breathe. And, and the diagnosis and the prognosis was pretty well set. And we all knew it. And she lasted a lot longer than anybody thought that she would. In fact, she lasted for so long that it was no longer horrifying. If that makes some sense. We were just with it so often every time we were around her. It was no longer horrifying. It, 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 there was beauty in it. In fact. Like the day that in the high school group, she said, I will never, as you know, I have this disease, and I will never go to prom. I just, who can go to prom in a wheelchair? Well, the next week, young man by the name of James showed up in a tux and with flowers and asked her to go to prom. It was very cool. And, And she said, I will never go to youth camp, can't go to youth camp. Well, She didn't know it, but um, we schemed with her dad and outfitted a van with all the medical attention that she would need, and she actually was able to go to youth camp, and we had a a great time. But we always knew how it was going to end. It was going to end when she just finally wasn't able to breathe, But she just persisted, she endured, and she she went on to to college, and she took a couple of classes that first year, but got weaker and weaker, and got down to where she was just taking one class her, her sophomore year, and in the fall of her sophomore year, I got a call from her mom that said, Allison can't breathe, her dad, Ron, is on the way to the house, can you meet us over at the house? And so I rushed over, and I need to tell you what I saw because it, 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 it changed how I understood, not just how I understood God, but how I understood God to be working with and on me and all of us. So I showed up, and, and the paramedics were there, and, and there was just no way that they could position her that it gave her any relief. I mean, she was just laboring. To breathe, uh, on her back she couldn't breathe. Couldn't breathe. On her side she couldn't breathe. Um, it just didn't really matter. And then finally, the doctor said to her dad, Ron, "Let's do this. You get up on the gurney." So he got up on the gurney and they sat it up so he could just sit on the gurney. And then they put Allison on his lap facing him and they said to the dad, okay, now wrap your arms around her and just ever so gently just sort of lift up. And then she could breathe. Then she could have life. Now you know it didn't, it didn't last forever. But there was in that moment the best possible image for how it is that God saves. God, whose essence is love, God, whose essence is to suffer love for you, will do and take whatever posture God needs to take to give you a chance at life. Cross right? Somehow when I walked up on the scene and saw Ron Lester, big old hairy armed Ron Lester, who could almost reach around Allison twice, somehow when I was able to watch him wrap those giant arms around her and kind of lift up, and then I could see that she finally was able to breathe, that something just hit me. And I said, oh, that's how God does. God's mind about you is made up. To keep telling that story, it would sound something like this, and God will do whatever it takes to afford you life and breath. What does it mean to become a Christian? Uh, Well, as simply as I know how to tell you, it means this. It means to come face to face with God, to allow God to wrap God's arms around you because God's mind about you is made up and the news is good. And then, here's what it takes from you. You ready? you just gotta breathe and allow the God whose essence is love to take the posture that it's gonna take to give you a chance for life, new life, more life as you learn to breathe. That is the beating heart of the bigger thing that I've been trying to talk to you about this entire week. And and we'll talk about big things tomorrow, too, with the help of Mr. Rogers, of course. But the beating heart of all of it is not somehow your ability to overpower all of your circumstances. The beating heart in the center of this entire project, and I keep using this term audacity, but the audacity doesn't start with you, it starts with God's passion for you. Some of you believe that you've been saved by the lion. I hope so. I just, I've not experienced that in my own life. What I have experienced is the God whose mind about me is made up and the news is good. I have experienced that that God is in fact willing to take whatever posture that God needs to take so that I can breathe and have life. Man, I want that for you. as the band is coming back up. There they are, look at them coming right back up. I I would like for you to at least consider what you've heard tonight. Maybe what you need to do is finally loosen your grip on an old image of God. Maybe you too, like I have before, Maybe you too have tried to remake God in your own image or at least in the image of what you think needs, God needs to be if God's gonna really get things done. And, and remember, it, show me the shape of your image of God and I'll show you the shape of your faith. And if sitting where you are tonight, yours is an angry faith, if you feel like you have to defend God, then you don't really know God just yet. This is a God who suffers love. This is a God best embodied and symbolized not by the giant lion, but according to scripture, by the always slain lamb. That's the God that calls you to breathe. Perhaps you can begin something tonight or perhaps like me, you can begin again And you can root this relationship with God, not in God's capacity to intimidate you, but in God's capacity to suffer love for you. I'm telling you, God's mind about you is made up. And that news is good. So as they sing, perhaps you would, Find a place to pray. And maybe it's right there where you are, which is fine. Or maybe you want to come up and make good use of pen and paper. Maybe you want to come up in the hopes that somebody will come and help you to think through what it is that you're thinking and feeling right now. But no matter if you stay or if you move, please consider that it just might be true that God's mind about you is made up and the news is good Father grant us the capacity to loosen our grip on any image of you that is somehow something less than the always slain lamb God grant us the capacity to see you as you wish to be seen God grant us the capacity to breathe